Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing from the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. My name is Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. These are the stories of Marcy Joe Andrews and Kathleen Henson. Chicago, Illinois, with her step-grandmother. She had enrolled in Northeastern Illinois University. In February, she started a job at the Periodical Publishers on West Lawrence Avenue and quit attending Northeastern. She had planned to move to Paducah, Kentucky, start the summer session at Paducah Community College in June. Things were finally looking up for Marcy. Marcy had started smoking pot in sixth grade and eventually she moved on to harder drugs. She had dropped out of Lane Tech High School at 16 and worked as a waitress at a cocktail lounge. I don't think they call them cocktail lounges anymore. I don't what think... do they call them? Um, I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, she was working at a cocktail lounge, um, which I would, I would say is a restaurant that serves, serves drinks. She and her friend, Dolores, or Dory, Cornell took a bus trip to Texas to see her sister. When the girls returned, Marcy got into a car accident. She then took off on a cross-country road trip with a Mayflower truck driver. During this time, Marcy called her mom, Sarah, told her the driver's name, the dispatch number, and the log number of the driver. She sent postcards home to her step-siblings. Eventually, Marcy entered into a drug and rehab treatment program called Crossroads at St. Xavier University. She was there for nine months. On February 13, 1984, Marcy was babysitting her stepsister, Jessica, until her mother got off of work. Then her stepfather, Richard, gave her a ride back to her apartment. On Valentine's Day, Marcy and Dory decided to go to the Botanical Gardens. It was a warm Valentine's in Chicago. They invited their friend, Gay Dell, to join them. The three women went to Casey Nowicki's apartment at 2558 West Iowa Street before going to the Botanical Garden. Nowicki was a drug dealer in the area. Once there, Gay and Dory snorted some PCP and Marcy smoked pot and drank several beers. They spent six or seven hours at Nowicki's apartment. The girls recorded a silly message on his answering machine. Around 7 p.m., Nowicki offered to drive the girls home. On the way, he ran into a concrete viaduct, and Marcy's ankle was injured, possibly broken. She couldn't walk on it. Nowicki gave Gay and Dory the keys to the car and some money. He told them to have the car towed. He stated that he would take Marcy to the ER. How was the next he, day... How was he going to take her to the ER? Well, he said that he was going to go to the police station and then take her to the ER. Okay. And I don't know, hail a cab, I don't know for sure okay. what part of that. But he didn't have insurance on his car, and he didn't want to be there um, when the police came. Sure. So, the next day, Dory called Nowicki, and she heard the silly message that they had left the day before in the answering machine. 
He returned her call later in the day and yelled at her for having his car towed to a different location. He avoided answering any questions about Marcy. Dory kept calling, asking to talk to Marcy. She told Nowicki that she would not bring the keys back to him until until she talked to Marcy. Eventually, Dory and Marcy spoke. Marcy told her that he didn't take her to the ER. Marcy's voice sounded scared and frightened. She also sounded high. Marcy asked Dory to, quote, get me out of here. He's scaring me, unquote. Dory called her friend, John Hefner, and Gay Dell to go to Nowicki's apartment. He never answered the door, though they could see shadows moving in the apartment. They threw rocks at the window, and he still never answered. The next day, Dory went back to Nowicki's apartment with her brother and Gay Dell. When uh, she rang the doorbell, Nowicki came out of the apartment screaming at them. He threatened to kill them if they called the police. Dory continued to call Nowicki's apartment every day for the rest of the week. She finally called Marcy's step-grandmother, who called Marcy's mom, Sarah. When, when Sarah heard the story, she called the police and reported Marcy missing. They didn't know it at the time, but Marcy had probably already been killed by this time. Several witnesses came forward and reported that they had seen Marcy at Nowicki's apartment. She was seen naked, drugged, and chained to the radiator. Despite these eyewitnesses' accounts, there was no physical evidence, and the the case went cold. Marcy's mom never gave up. She kept gathering evidence, names, numbers, witnesses. She pulled Marcy's x-rays and dental records just in case they found a body. She sent copies of newspaper reports to every coroner in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin in the hopes of finding her daughter. She had found nine nine witnesses to her daughter's fate, which convinced the United States Attorney Office to act. In 2000, Casey Nowicki was charged with first-degree murder of Marcy Andrews. He was tried in 2005. Investigators eventually tracked down 30 witnesses. Testifying for the prosecution were Sarah Andrews, Dory Purnell Garrity, Gay Dell, Michael John Pansini, and Roger Sexton. Pansini testified that he had known Nowicki for about two months. On February 14, 1984, he had gone to Nowicki's apartment where he saw Marcy naked and handcuffed to the radiator. Pansini uncuffed Marcy and helped her get dressed. Then he gave her peanut butter, milk, and orange juice to make her throw up, and she did, but just not very much. Pansini came back the next day, and he saw Marcy sitting next to Nowicki. She wasn't handcuffed, but she seemed high and disoriented. Pansini said that Nowicki forced Marcy to perform oral sex on one of his customers. When Pansini came back the third day, Marcy was lying on the floor, wrapped in a rug or blanket. Nowicki said, quote, she died on me, man, unquote. Pansini refused to help Nowicki haul her body out of the apartment. Roger Sexton testified that he and Nowicki had a conversation in 1998 at the Federal Metropolitan Correctional Center in Chicago. Sexton testified that Nowicki had said uh, that Marcy was, quote, still coming back to haunt me after all these years, unquote. On July 28, 2005, the jury found Casey Nowicki, 55 years old, guilty of murder that took place during a felony kidnapping. He was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Marcy Jo Andrews. Marcy's remains were never found. 
Marcy Jo Andrews was 24 years old when she went missing in February 1984. She would be 61 years old today. She is a Caucasian female who stood about 5 foot 2 and weighed 120 pounds. She had brown hair and gray eyes. Her last name at birth was Prather, but she took her stepfather's last name of Andrews when she was 11 years old. She wears reading glasses. If you have any information about the location of Marcy Jo Andrews, contact the Cook County State Attorney at 773-869-6373. This is just such a messed up story. On so many levels. So There's so many times that, that she could have been saved. Yeah, that people saw something and didn't do anything didn't do enough anyway yeah and I think that I think you know um so a couple things one is is that they were all using at the time right which would have made their their statements suspect they may not have been believed by law enforcement however um and also the people that testified or, or the people that 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 could have done something have a lifetime of guilt. Right. Have a lifetime of guilt for not doing enough or not doing the right thing or being scared or but but there are several different times and and that enough wasn't done. And so she, and it, sorry, she went so she went missing in in eighty four. Yep. And he when was it that he was? He was charged in 2000 and okay. then um, was was convicted in 2005. Okay. That's a long and, time. And there's, you know, there's evidence that goes missing after that. There's people that, that, that um, it gets real fuzzy. Right. Your, your memory of things get real fuzzy and. Um, Especially if they were all using. Right. And. And it's like 16 years or something like that. It's it's a long time, but it's it's very unusual for um, for them to convict somebody of murder when they don't have a body. Right. It's very unusual. Um, but it was. But there was enough evidence to be able to say that, and eyewitnesses, but they maybe wouldn't have been believed back in 1984 when they were. Maybe actively using. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they were actively using by 2000. I don't. I don't know that. But um, yeah, it just and this is just a greedy, low-level drug dealer um, who saw an opportunity. Right. So is. Is is Casey Nowicki still in prison? You know, I I didn't think to look at that because um, I still have this belief that when you're sentenced to life in prison, that means you'll spend the rest of your life in prison. But that's that's not the case, right? So I don't know. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's still alive, and I don't know if he's in prison. Sure. Um, I'll have to I'll have to look that up, and we can update this case on our podcast. Sure. But it's really, a, it's really, um, 
if it hadn't been for the mom just doggedly asking she she was she would be in bars she would she would ask questions she would track down people she would track down phone numbers she would have to in 16 years you'd have to update those numbers several times yeah. and she just didn't give up and there's so many times where we see that that you know justice is only served when somebody refuses to give up on the missing person right most more often than not a family member or a friend yep it can be we have heard of times where it was an officer mm-hmm. or an investigator that just could not get them out of their head right. and um but it's it's that that dogged pursuit that 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 really makes a difference in, in these cases and um but for the love of a mother you know who she still doesn't have her daughter she still doesn't have um you know uh doesn't know where she's at and those things aren't resolved for her but <clears throat> there would never no wiki would be still out and free if if uh if it hadn't been for her mm-hmm. and that's just that's just been true in in a lot of cases that we've read read about that is been a family member or, or a, a dedicated person who has just made all the difference. Right. And, and they weren't investigators necessarily, or they weren't didn't have skills in that area. They just didn't give up. Yeah. And then I would say that there are so many people who have who have family, who have friends that haven't given up, and they haven't been able to bring somebody to, um, you know, they haven't been able to get any resolution from it. Too, because uh, I think that there are a lot of cases where people are still trying, still looking, still calling, and and um, they haven't. The cases haven't been resolved yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's there's just a, a small piece of justice in this case that he was actually found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison, whether he's there or not anymore. But right, you know, he was found guilty. So. Yep. And um, yeah. I, it shows he has, he has some kind of conscience because, um, he was haunted by, I I would like to think that he was haunted by the memory of what he had done. Right. And I'm glad for that. Yep. Kathleen Henson was 30 years old in 1979. She lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma with her one-year-old son, Royce, and her 10-year-old son, Iman. Kathleen and Iman's father were divorced. No information was available about Royce's father, but Kathleen was not in a relationship with him in 1979. Kathleen worked at Rogers Records on the 5,000 block of Peoria Avenue. Because of her job, she often had access to concert tickets. On March 23, 1979, Kathleen dropped Iman off at his father's place of business around 10.30 p.m. He was only going to be there for a couple hours, and Iman's father would be dropping him off at home later. Kathleen had concert tickets that she was planning on bringing over to her friend's house. She called the friend after dropping him on off and said that she would be at their house in about an hour. Kathleen and one-year-old Royce never arrived at the friend's house and haven't been seen since. Not realizing that Kathleen wasn't home, Iman's father dropped him off. Iman didn't have a key, so he crawled through a window and went to sleep. This sort of thing had happened one other time. 
Kathleen was running late from work, and, we, and when Iman got home, he called his grandparents. They chewed Kathleen out for leaving him home alone. As a result of that incident, Kathleen told Iman not to call his grandparents, and that if she wasn't home when he got there, to just wait, because she was just running late from work. When Iman woke up the next morning, and Kathleen still wasn't home, he called one of his mom's friends, who then called Kathleen's parents. They knew something was wrong. On either the 24th or the 25th, depending on the article, the friend who was going to buy the concert tickets thought she passed Kathleen's car parked on the side of the road. Kathleen's father had borrowed her the car. When he and officers arrived at the scene, her father was able to verify that it was his car. The car was parked crookedly and was locked. There was no sign of Kathleen or Royce at the scene. Inside the car, they found Kathleen's straw purse, her driver's license, social security card, a baby bottle, and one credit card. She wasn't carrying any extra money or diapers for Royce. Police went through Kathleen's house with a fine-tooth comb and didn't find anything that would help them find Kathleen. Her mom called everyone in Kathleen's phone book and even checked her phone bill to see if there were any calls that were out of the ordinary. Nothing was found. Before her disappearance, Kathleen had confided in friends that she was afraid of a male acquaintance. Investigators say that this man is involved in numerous criminal activities. Unfortunately, there has been nothing else posted online about this man or Kathleen and Royce. There have been no new updates on the case, but it still remains open and unsolved. Kathleen Henson was 30 years old when she disappeared in 1979. She would be 73 this year. She is described as Caucasian, 5'7", and 125 pounds. She has brown hair and blue eyes. Her ears are pierced, and she may wear contact lenses. Her nickname is Kathy. Royce Henson was one year old in 1979. He will be 44 this year. He is described as biracial, African-American, and Caucasian. He has black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about the disappearance of Kathleen and Royce Henson, please contact the Tulsa Police Department at 918 Five nine six nine one two two, and that's literally all that there is. There was two so two it, articles. It feels weird that she would be dropping off the ten-year-old at ten thirty at his dad's house when the dad was going to be then delivering this the ten-year-old back to her in, by twelve thirty or one o'clock. Yeah. That seems strange. Yeah, it seems strange to me, too. The only thing I could think of was that, um, so somewhere in one of the articles, it said that um, Iman would would um, go to the record store after school and help his mom uh -huh. out. Um, and so the only thing I, I can think of is that she just dropped him off at his dad's place of work while she ran these concert tickets to... Um, yeah, but it was late. It was really late. And then... Um... And was she going to drop off Iman, too, or was she was she just taking Iman with her to deliver these tickets? Royce, you mean? Uh, uh, Royce, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, she took, she was taking Royce with. So strange. It is so strange. She didn't, and she didn't have, have her own car. Right. Um, well, and, and apparently, and there's, there's apparently nothing tying, tying this, male acquaintance that she was scared of 
there's not enough information tying him to the case because they don't even mention his name. Right. Yeah. And there's been, I there were two articles. There was an old newspaper clipping um, from 1979, um, mm -hmm. and the Charlie Project website. That's the only. Those are the only places that had any information about really about them. And um, yeah, I forgot what I was gonna say. Well, it's possible that um, it's possible that Royce is still alive. Right, right. Well, and and authorities thought you know she's she's thirty years old. Like, what's to say she just didn't up and leave? You know, like adults can, right. adults she can had do a, that. She had an established life. Right. She had she had she if she was going to leave, she would have taken both of her children. Right. Um, she wouldn't have just right. And the mom had, and Kathleen's mom had said, you know, she didn't, you know, she wasn't this wealthy person that she could just up and leave and start a new life somewhere. She made. She didn't even have her own car. Right. And this was 1979. And so she, she made, I think her mom said like $550 per month. So, yeah, just, I mean, it wasn't like she, to get by. yeah, it wasn't like she had all this money that she could just go start a new life somewhere. And, um, and if she had, she would have taken, she would have taken, um, her social security card. She would have taken the money that she had and diapers for Royce. I mean, at the very minimum right? that she would have done that. She wouldn't have left without that because he, while you may be changing your life, you can't, you still need the diapers and you still, you need the social security card and you need those things. But, um, and, and she didn't leave on her own of her own choosing. Right. Right. But it's possible that, that, that Royce is still alive. And if this happened when he was one, he, he could very well not have any memories. Yeah. Of, wow. Yeah. You know, it is so upsetting though, when you run into a case in which there's, there's, um, so little information. It yeah. was in 1979, but it, it's just, it makes me sad that um, somebody's life is, you know, three paragraphs. Right. Well, and, and I that, don't. That encompasses everything. Yeah, and I don't know how old her parents were, you know, in 1979. But if she was 30, you know, they'd they'd probably be they would be 50 or 60 years old. Yeah. And and um, um, Iman would be, you know. He would be fifty. He would be fifty or sixty himself. Right, right. So you know, you just wonder, like, who's who's still looking? You know. Yeah. And it's probably you know Iman. Yeah. Just that 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 there'd be so little to go to go on um, at at the time nineteen seven. You know, the, there's the stories, both the stories that you did and I did. They were from the 70s and 80s and things were so very different then yeah um you know you didn't have uh you didn't have cell phones you didn't have i mean she worked at a record store uh at least with cell phones we have you know we can ping we can find a cell phone um right. somewhere and the last time it was used or there's things that kind of give us a, a map of where we've been right. and they, they just didn't have any of that and I, yeah, and I feel like even the way that crimes were investigated are different. Mm -hmm. You know, like we know oh, now, sure. 
we know now that like, um, certain things are more important because we have these technologies like DNA and saliva and fingerprints and like we have right. all this and they technology. Just did not have that. Right. And um, even going through the home and the things that you would look for become different, yeah. a little bit different. Um, uh, you know that that the home might have been not as important as the car, right? Um, because that's where she was last seen. But it, it's it's just hard to say. And I think that I hope that that we are much better at investigating crimes um, that because of the additional technology, but also just from the hopefully the increased education about techniques and about thoroughness because um, so much of that is you know there are times where crimes are are that the the, um, the punishment of the criminal is happens because of a a thread or a you know, a very small, a, or DNA, a very small something that was captured. Um, and it, it just makes all the difference in the world. Right. That's what makes these cases so hard, because there's there, there there probably was information, but we weren't able to capture it. Yeah. And um, understand it at the time. So We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com. sometimes finding uh, weekly distractions. I do too. Because the, typically we, <laughs> typically I'm late getting my story in. I am rushing. I am hurrying to get a good story, an interesting story, get it on the paper um, and on time for our, our recording. And <laughs> then, then I have to find a distraction. So, it's not like it's a fun. I feel pressure. Yeah, me too. To be, I feel pressure to have a, a weekly distraction that's funny or interesting or it just that doesn't suck. Yeah. And, and that's not always easy. No. So and I felt that way today. Um, so, and I often will start with typing in weird, <laughs> ridiculous, stupid. I mean, because I'm I'm like I I, I I'm just into, into Google. I mean, I just like. Yes. 
<laughs> I thought you would say no. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it is soup. I think it is. But but is is just wrong, but yeah. I think you're right. So how many chickens would it take to kill an elephant? What? I, I don't make the questions up. I'm uh, just asking them. Are there answers, or do I just have to guess? No. There's, the, the answers are, are the, the answer, well, you'll have to justify your answer, but oh, okay. uh, the, there is no, there is no correct answer. Okay. Um, I don't really know about that. I feel like it would take more than a couple. So three? Well, I mean, I suppose it depends on what they did to the elephant. Well, but the elephant has that, that trunk. I mean, I, the, you could block a nose hole. You could, but. Then they still have their air holes. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think know. it would take a lot. It would. I think it would take more than three. But, I mean, chickens can be mean. And they got those little scratchy things on their, you know, on their legs. But <laughs> an elephant's hide is very tough. It is. It is. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that chickens could kill. I don't, elephant, I don't know either. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm thinking, I, like, I, elephants are so big and, like, fumbly that that might be, like, that might be a detriment to them. Well, and they're very, they're very um, dexterous trunk yeah. could reach most parts of their, you know, protect most parts of their body. Right. So I just don't think a chicken would have a, and they, chickens can't fly. Right. I mean, they can flop, hop, but yeah. they really can't fly. So I, I just don't know if they could. I don't know. Um, what, would, what sport would be the funniest to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to. Oh, gosh. So, like, you, you can't play... If you're going to play this, you have to have a blood alcohol level of that. Um, I think that volleyball. <laughs> Can you imagine playing volleyball? No, because I, I, I can't tell there's a good reason to play volleyball. I mean, maybe in the sand or something, but on those hard... I'm too old. My knees and... I would probably actually be pretty good at volleyball <laughs> if I, I had some alcohol. Well, I feel like I, it, if, I think that would yeah, if you had alcohol, it would have to be played in the sand just for safety reasons. Uh, it will. It could be in in a helmet. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I would say something like archery, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that'd be funny. See, my humor no. is getting darker and darker the longer <laughs> that we do this. Um, let me see. I want to make sure that I don't want to give you. What animal is the biggest party animal? Oh, the biggest party animal. Yeah. Um, I feel like dogs would be the biggest party animal. Do you think? I think so, just because they're they're just such social. They're always up for a good time. Yeah, they're just so social. I, I I'm, I'm stuck between a zebra and a goat. <laughs> oh. I think a goat would really know how to. Get people going. Have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> they just they just would. They would. Um, so this is the last one for today. Okay. Um, where do you think the name Pina Colada came from? Um, well, isn't it the Spanish name for whatever the ingredients are? I know French, but I don't know Spanish. Um, cause isn't like pina, like pineapple or coconut, 
uh, that stands for colada. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that pineapple I mean, is coconut. I don't know what I don't know what a peanut. I don't know what. A, uh, so so you think that it came from the the the, the ingredients in a pina colada? I think so, but I'm not really sure. I, I'm not even sure. I I guess I've never thought of it before. See, so these, that's what my my job here. My work here is done. Good, good job. So I have I have like eight more days of it. For oh, you. good. So, so uh, but the, I'll have to say that till next week. Okay. All right. So I have um, tweets about petty things couples do when they're mad at each other. Oh, God, isn't that everything? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's it's all petty. (laughs) My husband made me mad, so when he wasn't looking, I poured water on the floor in in front of the dishwasher. He's been fixing it for the past two hours. That is mean. It is mean. So most of these are mean, but they're funny. I mean, they're not dangerous. Nobody was hurt, but. However, I you would be hurt if after two hours of working <laughs> on it. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it is terrible. I'm writing them down. Do it. <laughs> my husband, when my husband makes me mad, I send him a picture of the thermostat set to seventy-two degrees. <gasps> Here, look what I did. <laughs> you know when I get well, and I, this is a, this is this is this is because I think this is funny. And when I'm when I'm being um, not at my best, I will make sure that the uh, dryer sheet is in one of David's pants. <laughs> um, uh... And David to do the same, getting me back. We'll make sure, we'll put it in my front pocket. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's those little so, things that nobody's, nobody's hurt, nobody's harmed, but it's just like a little dig. More than once, <laughs> I have been in public <laughs> and I've said to myself, damn it, David, <laughs> because I found, uh, I, he got me. He, I found, uh, and, and, and he gets me and it's, it's a jab. It's a jab. Yeah. And it just, it's a, but it's a, it's an ever perpetuating cycle. So. <laughs> I know it sounds mean, but when I'm mad at my wife and want to lash out, I open a bottle of the same condiment when there's already one open. <laughs> it's just stupid. Just stupid little things. Just, and, and you know, she, she knows too. Yeah. My there's husband. There's two ketchups. Yeah, yeah. And there doesn't, and they're both full. Right, right. That's a real, that's, that's. And who did it? <laughs> who did it? There's, you know, nobody's going to fess up to it. No, you can't. You're never going to find out who yep. did it. My husband made me mad, so I made him his favorite chocolate chip cookies and used black beans instead of chocolate. I feel like that's the equivalent that of raisins. a whole new level. It is. Of pettiness. It is. <laughs> I mean, you have to put in the work to have the payoff for that. You have to, you have to suffer through something that smells like baked be- bean cookies. Yeah, which sounds disgusting. It does. It does. It's so mean. I mean, you could have just put raisins in them, but no, <laughs> that would not be edible. No. 
uh, it would not be edible. Uh-uh. And he comes home and he's oh, what? Yuck. Yuck. I let my wife know I'm mad at her by wearing outfits she doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. As somebody who's been married for, I don't know, 50, 100 years, <laughs> my husband just did that to me this morning. So we he's uh, teaching. And he teaches high school shop classes, and the kids are quarantined. So he's at school without children, teaching shop classes. Mm-hmm. And he, so he wore his bibs, which is a whole, I mean, I could just go on for hours about how I feel about that. Yeah. But he, so he had a, a T-shirt on, a sweatshirt on, shorts on, and he was putting on his bibs. Oh, no. Everything was tucked in. He had to show me, though. He had to lift up his sweatshirt to show me that he was wearing an orange sweatshirt with red shorts with a racing stripe down the side. Oh, no. Black racing stripe. A blue sweatshirt that would all be hidden by the overalls that he was wearing, the bibs that he was wearing. But he had to make sure that I saw that. Yes. So now I would be irritated by that the whole day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And those shorts, I've tried, I've, I've hidden those shorts gently on purpose, thrown those behind the dresser. And I don't know how he found them, but he did. There must be like a beacon or something that gets sent out when, when yeah, ugly clothes are lost. And you know that just, just telling you that I threw those ugly shorts behind the dresser, that's another way that you get back at your spouse for being, when you're mad at them. <laughs> there but you I go. I never tweeted. Yep. I, there's no proof. There's no proof <laughs> that I ever did any of that except for... Anybody who's listening to this podcast will know, but that's it. Yeah. (laughs) My wife ate the last donut this morning, so I went in her car and readjusted the driver's seat and the mirrors. Can you imagine? That's so small and petty. (laughs) It's so small and petty. However, I I have friends that their their daughter uh, is now old enough to drive, and they took her daughter, their daughter's car, to Dairy Queen. And they did exactly that. Yeah. They moved all the seats. They turned all the knobs. They ate messy ice cream. They used all the gas. Yeah. And they enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. So, you have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we're really just small and petty people. <laughs> and it's it, it, it and it's fun. Yes. Kind of. I mean, I enjoy it. And I don't know why. That's because I'm, I'm small and petty. <laughs> this is my last one. My husband made me mad, so I took photos of me using his tools improperly and sent them throughout the day while he was at work as payback. <laughs> using his pliers as a hammer. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, ooh, and then don't put him back in the right spot. Right. Because Lose that one. will get their goat yeah. every time. Yep. I'm writing all of these down, <laughs> and I start tomorrow. That's going to be, uh, you've just made the rest of my week. You've ruined David's, but you've made well, mine. So that's thank good. you for that. You're welcome. Okay. Well, let's do it again next week. Sounds good.